There will be false teachers among you. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. That's our theme verse for this episode of the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. In this episode, titled Resist False Teaching, we continue surveying 2 Peter. We will again see Peter's concern about false teaching infiltrating the churches. Plus, Peter points out several ways to recognize false teaching and how to resist it. Here's Senior Pastor Perry Duggar. Today we continue our survey of 2 Peter called what? Remember. Do you remember? Remember what I said at the opening of this service. Some of you may have come in a little bit later. The next several messages and the remainder of this book contain a number of references to uh, sexuality, promiscuity, the judgment of God against sin. And those are all truthful things that we need to remember. But If you have small children in here, you may want to introduce those topics to them rather than me surprising your children with them. So the the staff up in the children's ministry are staying a while in case you want to check your children in. If not, we will continue. Today's message is a warning. It's entitled, Resist False Teaching. The theme verse, you can take out your program, chapter 2, verse 1, which is where we'll begin. There will be false teachers among you. Remember, a few weeks ago I told you that Peter had been informed by the Spirit, somehow, but it's not reported in Scripture, that he was nearing the end of his life. And so he wrote this letter because he was very concerned about false teaching infiltrating the church, corrupting the gospel message, and confusing Jesus' followers. You know, as I said, when I was um, praying and considering what I would preach this spring, it seemed to me that our culture is experiencing tremendous corruption throughout the institutions in our land, including the church. So I'm using this series, as Peter did, to remind us what are the important things to remember that will guide us through these tough times. Now in this letter, Peter uses very direct and even at times harsh language to reveal the seriousness of the problem. In our culture today, we see aggressive outward attack against Christian beliefs, Christian practices, and especially Christian moral standards. So all of us must be certain what is correct doctrine. And we must be able to recognize it. Peter gave us guidance regarding how to resist false teaching. The first step was to recognize false teachers, individuals. He began by describing the men who would communicate this incorrect gospel. Now you may say, well, why is he only talking about men? Because there were only male teachers in that time. 
So if he had written today, he may have male and female. But at this time, all of these men that portrayed themselves as teachers were all male. Verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. So he's identifying these false teachers with false Old Testament prophets. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies. Now the word heresy has come to mean to us something false, but it originally in the Greek, heresy just meant a, a party, a faction, a different school of thought. And that's why Peter is very specific when he says these people are teaching destructive heresy. So not only do they have a, a different way of thinking, but they're, what they're teaching is very destructive to the church and damaging. And even deny the master who bought them. So they distorted the apostles' teaching about Jesus, despite Jesus' sacrifice for sin, and they disobeyed the moral instruction that came from Jesus and from those apostles that he sent. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. See, Peter informed his letter's recipients that not everyone who claimed to be a Christian teacher of the gospel was truthful or called or even saved. And so these believers needed to be discerning about what they were hearing. And he reminded them that there have always been people who were disseminating distorted doctrine among God's people. So they had to be able to identify fake instructors. Verse 2. I think it's incumbent on us today, don't you? Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. See, people would follow this teaching because it was, it was easy believism. As Timothy writes, it was ear tickling. It was telling people what they wanted to hear. Telling them they could do what they wanted to do. Because they spoke of a faith that didn't require repentance or godly living. And this fabrication taught a form of liberty that promoted sexual immorality. Which of course would be quite popular. But it would dishonor Christ. It would distort the true gospel message. Do any of you doubt we need this message today? Peter further exposed the character of these counterfeit teachers in verse 3. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. These dishonest men, they sought to gain followers for themselves, not, not for Jesus. So then they could use their popularity to exploit people 
financially for personal gain. I've even heard, you know, a, a pastor say that he drove, in those days, this was years back, he drove a brand new Mercedes because the people needed to know that God blessed the shepherd. <laughs> You've heard that, somebody said. Well, my car's 20 years old, so I guess you guys are in bad shape. <laughs> but it still runs. Continue in verse 3. But God condemned them long ago. And their destruction will not be delayed. These teachers would be punished for distorting the gospel and for using ministry for personal gain. See, the flawed character of these men exposed the phoniness of what they taught and revealed their fake spiritual nature. In our culture, there are many people, usually celebrities. It's amazing how little it takes to be a celebrity in our culture, isn't it? You think I have the makings of a celebrity? No. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it appears all you need is a TikTok channel, isn't that what they, they call it? And what do you do? You, TikTok, you, you what, sing, sing and dance and pose a little bit? I don't know how this makes you look a lot better. I, I never understood the secret of the lifted heel, but, um, but there's celebrities in Christian ministry, in sports and entertainment, and influencers on the internet. That, that just, I can't get that. And they're paid money. They make their living being influencers about nothing. But the problem is these people who have wormed their way into your home, the Bible talks about worming their way into your home, but they do it easily now with all of the electronic devices. Think about who are all the people that speak in your home, into your ears, that you've invited in. They're telling us who God is. What the gospel message is. What morality is acceptable. And we're just, we're, we're getting the direction for our lives from these little devices, from people we don't know and have no reason to trust. Is that fair? The credibility of a person's spiritual opinions is determined by their character. Well, that sounds like judgment, doesn't it? It's interesting how that, that phrase has been misapplied. You should never judge. And yet the scripture is full of of encouragement for us to confront sin in each other, isn't it? Yes. So what's, what's missing? Well, there is a phrase, do not judge or you'll be judged. But the context is don't judge hypocritically. Don't be harboring even greater sin and confronting and rebuking someone with lesser sin. But the scripture never says don't recognize or confront. 
That's the way churches become filled with corruption. Because we are called to speak to each other gently, humbly, lovingly, with a motivation of helping. So if you're, if you're angry, you're out of line because human anger doesn't carry out God's righteous um, decisions. But we must be discerning in each other's lives. If, if our church is to have integrity, if the gospel is to remain true. So do we discount spiritual advice from people whose lives are not godly? Another way to resist false teaching is to reflect on God's judgment. One of the most common spiritual deceptions that I hear is is this inference that God judges no one. That God accepts every lifestyle as equal. And that it's, again, that's easy for us to believe, isn't it? Because we know people who are practicing those lifestyles that that the Bible condemns. And these are people we like. These are people we love. So it's easy for us to think, oh, well, maybe God doesn't mind either. God's word hasn't changed. God invited us into a relationship, but he has expectations of us. The same as you do. When you married, did you marry someone and say, oh, do anything you want to do? Now, I'm reading of some marriages that are like that, but that's not marriage. That's not marriage. So we have to be careful. We're not swallowing something because we, it's what we want to hear. We have to always go back to the Scripture. What does the Scripture say? And Peter reminded these people and us that God judges all of us without exceptions. And then he gave three examples from biblical history. Verse 4. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they're being held until the day of judgment. Now, the the word hell has a star beside it in, in our translations. And that's because the word that's used there is a Greek word, Tartarus. And, and it actually refers to the place of torment in Greek mythology. You say, well, why would that be in the Bible? Because these letters are written to people in that culture in a way they would understand. There's a number of references in the scripture that aren't from inspired writings. And so Jewish writers adapted this concept from a book called First Enoch, at at chapter 20, verse 2. And I want you to understand this. There, There were, there are other ancient Hebrew religious texts. Do you know that? That have never been accepted as biblical, though they might have been texts that Jews in the first century, second century knew about. And some examples of this are First Enoch and Jubilees. And these angels that are referred to, according to First Enoch, but, but also many, many scholars believe now, 
are the sons of God from Genesis chapter 6. Are you familiar with that, that passage? It's one of the weirdest passages in the Bible, wouldn't you say? They were the sons of God, but they sinned. You remember how they sinned? They married human women. And they produced offspring who were giants. And their name was what? What were they called? The Nephilim or the Nephilites, depending on your translation. But these angels sinned and they are held awaiting judgment. Peter asserted here that God even punished spiritual beings that he created to serve when they sinned. He continued at second, at second Peter two, verse five. Let me say this though. You know, that may disturb some of you to see a reference that seems so strange but folks, we have to become aware if we're not that God is not a 21st century American. He's not a little white guy named George Burns that, has, that performs magic. Some of you young ones don't remember that movie. But God is supernatural. And so we've been invited into a relationship with him that is not like this world we live in. We need to keep an awareness of the spiritual nature of faith. Otherwise, what we do is we domesticate it. We chain it down, we strip it of power, and it just becomes another American expression of going to some club where someone's speaking. That's not what faith is, and it's not who God is. He, con he continued at 2 Peter 2, 5, and God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. God was saddened to do that. You can read in Genesis chapters 6 and 7. God destroyed the world he created. Is that, that might be better than what I'm saying. I'm sure it was better than what I was saying. <laughs> hey, oh, it was the same thing. Oh, good. Well, look, give me that. We'll just put a microphone on. <laughs> so God destroyed the world that he created and called good. And all of its inhabitants. You know why? Because it was, was corrupted with wickedness, with evil. Now, would we say that Corruption's not on every side in our culture. 
watch television tonight for two hours. Prime time. And see what you see. And so God destroyed the world to eliminate the wickedness, the corruption, and the violence that filled the earth. Genesis chapter 6. And then he continues in verse 6. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. Genesis 18 and 19. Also Jude 5 through 7. Jude parallels, Jude written by the brother of Jesus, closely parallels much of 2 Peter. These false teachers in Peter's day were flourishing as they circulated spiritual lies, as they enjoyed great popularity, practiced sensuality, and became wealthy. And it didn't look like they would ever be punished. Doesn't look like it today, does it? It looks like the wicked thrive and the righteous get punished or persecuted. It could, it could become even more extreme in that way. Peter pointed out that God's faithful judgment in the past against the sin of spiritual beings, angels, against the entire world, and then against two specific cities, asserted that, that he would also uphold judgment in the present. He said, but Christians don't have to endure judgment, do we? Yes, we do endure, endure judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10, 1 Peter 4.17. Well, explain that to us. No, I'm not going to. I want you to dive into it and figure out what it means. But we all face God. And some of you may say, well, I thought these were just, you know, folk tales. I thought these were imaginary stories where they're repeated numerous times in the Scripture. And, you know, we depends on whose geology book you're reading. Some of them would say, oh, there's never been a, a flood. But, it, but keep looking and you'll find there's evidence of water over the planet. Just look a little bit far, harder. Look a little broader. But you, you may have to go way down into the lower pages on the Google because as we know, so much today is being censored. All kinds of opinions, including biblical Christian spiritual opinions, are all being blocked. That's why you have to know it yourself. That's why you have to know your word, God's word. You have to know what it says. You have to know what's right, what's wrong, according to God, not according to our culture. You know, I've lived long enough, and Roland's lived a lot longer than me. And so what, what, what is considered right has changed dramatically in our lifetimes, hasn't it? Dramatically. And, and there's no, no point in saying, there's no reason for saying it's not going to keep drifting. Yeah, it's picking up speed. But we have to know what's right, what's true. So that we can speak, not angrily, not in a condescending way, but in a humble, 
way, but with conviction. We cannot be scared. I mean, how did our culture erode to this point? Because we were silent. We were silent. We didn't want to have a hard conversation with anybody, particularly somebody in our family. But when we hear people say that God does not punish sin, even when it's specifically condemned in the Scripture, we have to realize that's wrong and immediately reject it. That doesn't mean reject the person. You can love the person, but that person then takes control of the relationship and determines whether they allow you to stay in relationship if you don't conform to their convictions. Are you hearing me on this? Do you exercise discernment when hearing people speak about God and faith? An additional way to avoid false teaching is to rely on God's grace. Now, here's the point. An awareness of the severe judgment of God, which God is, God is not doing this because he's out of control and angry. God is just. In other words, sin is punished in the amount it deserves. But because God is, is absolutely sinless and just, He must punish sin. Otherwise, he's not just. So awareness of the severe judgment of God against sin makes grace even more precious. Verse 7. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. See, God said, you can find it in Genesis, that he had heard people's cry of the the wickedness, the corruption in the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. He sent two angels to check it out, to see whether it was true. And Lot attempted to protect these two angels. He didn't know they were angels. They appeared as men. He welcomed them into his home. But that evening, the men of Sodom, and and the scripture says both young and old, surrounded the house and demanded the angels that they thought were men to be given to them for sex. Genesis chapter 19. Now, Lot had provided these angels hospitality, food, shelter, protection, But Lot was not a sinless man because when these men tried to force their way into the home to to snatch these angels, Lot, remember what he did? He offered them his daughters to do with as they pleased. Genesis 19, 7 through 9. But you know what was most important here? God knew Lot. And God considered him righteous. That's grace. Because are any of us completely righteous in ourselves? Any of us? So the point is, not only do we know God, but more importantly, does he know us? And by faith, has he considered us righteous? It's God's work. 
And Lot was, though we see some things in, in Lot's behavior and in his family's behavior and his daughter's behavior that don't look right. Verse 9, so you see the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. God delivered through these angels, Lot, his wife, his daughters, it didn't work out too well for his wife. But Lot first was invited to go tell his sons-in-law. They were betrothed to his daughters, not married yet is what it appears to say. And so when Lot went and said destruction was coming, you know what the son, son-in-laws, future son-in-laws did? They laughed. They said, you're joking. And they stayed. Anybody hearing any laughing in our culture? If we speak of God's judgment against sin, they just laugh like we have lost our minds. And sometimes it looks like there'll never be a day of judgment, doesn't it? You say, well, if we look today, it does look like we're losing for sure. So these son-in-laws wouldn't come and they perished in the city. Peter reassured these believers though that God will judge sin. He does judge sin. But God recognizes his own. And he will rescue us. He rescues us from trials now. But he will certainly spare us in the day of judgment. Which, which may be arriving soon. For the signs seem to line up. God has judgment planned for those who sin without repentance who refuse to believe, and yet he graciously forgives all believers their sins, sparing them just like he did Noah and Lot. A true teacher of the gospel will emphasize the grace of God, that, that God spares his own from condemnation, not because they deserve it, but because of his mercy. And so anytime we hear in any way that we must earn salvation by some righteous or, or religious action or ritual or behavior, we're hearing something false. Resist it. You say, well, Perry, you say that, you say that our behavior ought to change. How is that different? Well, what I'm saying is that our character changes as you know what I'm going to say? Evidence of salvation, not as a condition of salvation. They're completely different. Does the grace of God motivate you today? The way you live, the way you relate to God, the way you relate to others. The final way from this passage to avoid false teaching is to respect spiritual authority. Verse 10. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. They're respecting Jesus' 
authority over them. They're, respect, they're disrespecting, they're rejecting Jesus' statements about what's moral, what's immoral. They just reject it. Those people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings. Who has something besides supernatural beings? What? Celestial beings. Some translations say glorious ones. Well, who are these people? Well, it likely refers to powerful beings in the spiritual realm. I don't have to convince y'all there's a spiritual realm, do I? And not only is there a spiritual realm, it's highly organized. And people occupy different positions of authority. Did you know that? Colossians describes thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. But you can also look at Ephesians 3.10. You can look at Ephesians 6.10. You can look at Jude 8. And so they disrespect, they scoff without so much as trembling. Boy, doesn't that description strike home with us. You tell someone what God wants out of their lives and they laugh at you. These false teachers formed their own opinions about everything. And they followed their own desires and they encouraged others to do so as well. They disregarded God's direction from the scripture. I mean, isn't that where we are today? Unfortunately, even in the American church, I'm afraid, far too often. We've determined what morality God will accept. I think not. I think not. Peter asserted that even spiritual beings did not exercise the spiritual authority and insight of these false teachers. You know, even Jesus said, I don't know the day and hour when I'll return. These false teachers are saying he's not going to return. So do whatever you want to do. Again, Jude 8 through 10. Verse 11, but the angels who were far greater in power and strength do not dare to bring the Lord a charge of blasphemy against these supernatural beings. See, unlike angels, these angels would not speak against higher ranking spiritual beings. But these false teachers They had no respect for spiritual authority. Are we living like that? They scoffed. They mocked them. They made fun of them. What names are used as curse words in our culture? Christ, Jesus, God, all of them are swear words in our culture, aren't they? Because there's no respect. There's no regard. There's... So there's no carefulness about offending God. God doesn't exist to most of these people other than some illusory vapor that they determine who and what he is. These deceivers spoke as authorities on spiritual matters, creating doctrine that disputed what the apostles taught with the authority of Jesus Christ and the inspiration of the Spirit. 
See, there, like I told you, there are lots of books, too, that are written that, that there may be some truth in some of them. But the whole things as a whole are not inspired by God. So they're not part of the scripture. They weren't accepted. Though there are some things in it that aren't even true. But folks, in our day, we need to beware when, when clever, convincing, winsome pastors and teachers come up with some theological doctrine, some supernatural insight that they say comes from the Bible or even from God himself. I remember there used to be a, a, this pastor and man, he had the style and he was always coming up with these brand new things. And he had this wonderful way of saying, he said, and I experienced God telling me and, and, and he would describe it. And people just fawned at it. I remember this guy was saying, hey, you want me to start giving you those DVDs? I thought, Lord, do it to prop open a door or something. But, but, but this guy had this winsome. Now, later, the same guy who was regarded as this national expert, pastored a huge church, just renounced the scripture overall. Became, I think, Oprah's advisor or something. But... But when people start telling you that they're getting this from God himself or they, they come up with this whole theology. I mean, I've been in revival meetings where there's this whole theology discussed that everybody nodded their heads over. And I didn't even know where it came from. You know what I'm talking about? But, but if it doesn't sound like what you read in God's word, reject it. Even if you like the speaker, even if it sounds convincing, if it's not tacked down into God's revealed word, resist it. Do we accept whatever someone says, especially, especially someone that we like or someone whose personality we like, without asking whether their words of advice or their suggestions are aligned with God's word? Do we examine the Bible for ourselves? And I've told you over and over for years, if I say something that sounds strange to you, what should you do? You check the scripture and if, you, if it violates the scripture, you discount it. Like the Bereans and the Bereans question everything Paul, the greatest authority on the gospel. Whatever he said, they examined it to see if it was true. Acts 17, 11. You know, I've raised a lot of issues. And some of them you may say, well, I don't agree with you. Well, I don't matter, but what does God say? What does God's word say? You know, if you say, well, I'm not sure. I want to talk to somebody. Our, our care volunteers will be here. They'll be in the care connection room across the concourse. They'll talk with you about these issues. They'll pray with you. If you want to talk to me, you call my assistant, Laura. Leave your number. I'll call you back. You send me an email. Because we, all of you are needed in this culture that is sliding into corruption. And you have the gospel, but you have to wield it in defense of, of the kingdom of God. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us to take your word more seriously than the word of anyone in this earth. 
And Lord, help us to use our lives to defend your kingdom instead of trying to establish our own. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. These are really good questions to ask. Do we accept whatever someone says, especially someone we like, without asking whether their words of advice and suggestion are aligned with God's word? And do we examine the Bible for ourselves to discover whatever we're hearing is true? We're so grateful you joined us for this week's podcast. Next week, we'll continue the series, Remember. And to prepare, you can read 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 through 22. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transfer of life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast. If you like what you're hearing, leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ as well. Thanks for listening and have a great week.